Aloha, and welcome to The Joint, a joint-based Pearl Harbor Hickam podcast. Each month, we will be dive, dive, diving into U.S. Navy and Air Force stories from across our base. Stories about history, everyday life for sailors and airmen here, local topics, and more. Welcome. everyone. I am Senior Chief Jackie Smith. I work at Navy Region Hawaii Public Affairs. On today's podcast, we discuss the 78th Pearl Harbor commemoration. Why do we have the event every year to commemorate the December 7th, 1941 Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor? We will be talking with Navy Region Hawaii's History and Heritage Outreach Manager, Jim Newman, about the significance of the attack then, as well as what it means to us today. Also on the show, we will talk directly with Pearl Harbor survivors about their experiences during the 1941 attack and why they come back every year for the commemoration event. We'll also ask if they have any advice for our military members today. Now let's pull chocks and go. So on today's podcast, we're going to discuss the 78th Pearl Harbor commemoration. And I have in the studio with me, Jim Newman, Navy Region Hawaii's History and Heritage Outreach Manager, about the significance of the attack then, as well as what it means to us today. Jim, if you could talk to the audience about who you are and what your job here on base is. Well, thank you. Yes. uh, My my name is Jim Newman. I'm the historian for Navy Region Hawaii. And uh, my job is really to uh, collect the history of of the Navy in Hawaii and then be able to take that history and tell others about it and inform people, whether it's uh, distinguished, visitor, distinguished visitors or guests, just about uh, the Navy's history in Hawaii. Thanks. Jim, before we get started with December 7th questions, what's your favorite Navy tradition and what is your favorite Air Force aircraft? Well, I think my favorite tradition um, really relates to December 7th in, in many ways because uh, one, of the, one of my responsibilities is when we have funerals, uh, when we have, uh, whether it's ashes are being scattered, uh, former Pearl Harbor survivors, or even World War II vets, or the interment of the ashes in the actual wreckage itself, that's something that that I I play a role in. And this year, for instance, we are going to be interring Lauren Bruner, who is a Arizona survivor, uh, and it's gonna be the last one he, his ashes are going to be the last ones interred in the wreckage with 32 other sailors and Marines from the USS Arizona. And that part of it, just the whole ceremony, um, anytime you see a burial ceremony, it's, it's a very moving thing because we always have a flag folding team. We'll have a rifle team. We'll have the pack fleet bugler that will play, play taps for that sailor or Marine. And just the procession of the urn down to the divers and then the divers out to the wreckage and just the idea that here you have a sailor who was a part of a ship um, that went down in war and then they want to turn around and have their ashes interred in that ship with their shipmates, that's always a very moving thing. So I think for, a, for tradition, that's something that's very, very important to me or very special to me. As far as an Air Force aircraft, um, <laughs> Not necessarily for the aircraft itself, but I've always, I've always uh, appreciated the B-24 bomber, and that has to do with Jimmy Stewart, actually, who's probably my favorite actor. 
And Jimmy Stewart is a retired brigadier general. He was a brigadier general in the U.S. Air Force um, who flew 20 combat missions in World War II. And here you have, it's just, to me, um, it's, it's just something that uh, stands out from that generation. We call him the, gen the greatest generation. And here you had an actor in Hollywood who did not need to go and fight, who did go. He, matter of fact, uh, <laughs> the country was trying to keep him from going because they didn't want to find out Jimmy Stewart crash landed or something was captured by the Germans. But no, he wanted to do his part in the war. And um, so he flew B-24s, as I said, 20 combat missions, went on in the reserves, the Air Force Reserves, to retire as a Brigadier General. So because Jimmy Stewart flew that aircraft, I guess that would probably be my favorite Air Force aircraft. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, from For some of our airmen and sailors stationed here at Joint Base Pearl Hickam, they don't know about the significance of December 7th, 1941, which is pretty amazing. Um, since you specialize in history and heritage, we wanted to talk to you about the event that took place 78 years ago right here. Can you give a brief history of the Pearl Harbor attack? Sure. Well, um, I guess the brief history would be uh, throughout the 1930s, I guess you could say, the United States and the Empire of Japan had sort of been sort of been moving towards uh, armed conflict. Uh, the Japanese had the intention of taking over pretty much all of Southeast Asia and turning it into what they were they would call the Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere. And uh, because the British were fighting for their lives against the Germans, the French had already uh, surrendered to the Germans, um, the Dutch had already surrendered to the Germans, Really, the only thing standing in their way of the Japanese taking over that whole region was the U.S. Pacific Fleet, which was homeported in Pearl Harbor. So the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor not because they had any intention of invading Hawaii or occupying Hawaii. Uh, the, the Japanese army was not going to have anything to do with that. Their resources were already spread pretty thin. And beyond that, um, it's one thing to invade Hawaii and occupy Hawaii. It's a whole other thing to resupply Hawaii all the way from Japan. They did not have those kinds of resources. So the reason that they attacked the Pacific Fleet was to prevent the U.S. Pacific Fleet from, the reason they attacked Pearl Harbor was to prevent the U.S. Pacific Fleet from going from Pearl Harbor and then stopping their invasion of Southeast Asia. And that's why they did it. Mm -hmm. So the fleet was, was here uh, as of June of 1940. President Roosevelt ordered the fleet after an exercise in Hawaiian waters to stay in Hawaii, to be homeported in Hawaii. He was hoping it would be a deterrent to the Japanese of their intentions of taking over Southeast Asia. Uh, but the Japanese saw that as a threat. And, and the only thing that they really believed that that was the only thing that could prevent them from their intentions of, of on Southeast Asia and creating that region. So that's why they attacked Pearl Harbor. They did it on a Sunday morning. They had been able to uh, pay attention to our fleet movements. Um, they had a spy in Hawaii who was watching what was going on. So they, they knew that Sunday morning was a time when a lot of sailors were, were going to be unprepared. Um, a lot of the, the officers were not going to be on the ship. Um, a lot of sailors will be on liberty and so forth. And so that's why they attacked on Sunday morning when they did. But ironically, um, by attacking Pearl Harbor the way that they did, catching us by surprise, catching us on a Sunday morning, uh, it really kind of united the American people. Mm -hmm. So before that time, the American people were kind of divided as to whether we wanted to go to war with the Empire of Japan. 
you know, in the interest of, of preventing the Japanese from taking over British colonies or Dutch colonies or French colonies, but by attacking Pearl Harbor by surprise and killing over 2,400 sailors, Marines, airmen, soldiers, and civilians in Hawaii at the time, that really united the American people, um, that infuriated the American people. And that's what really uh, brought us into the war as devoted as we were was because of the the idea that the Jap that the Empire of Japan would 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 do that. It was the day of infamy, as as Franklin Roosevelt called it, and the reason he called it that it was because of the way that the Japanese went about starting that war. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's pretty pretty um, interesting as you're talking about that on a Sunday. Being a sailor, Sundays are my day of rest. As you know, I I try to look at it, but um, having that perspective and and remembering what happened 78 years ago and knowing that it's bigger than myself, you know, I appreciate that. How has the December 7th attack shaped the way the Navy is today? Well, that's a, that's a great question because uh, the December 7th attack uh, changed the way really the Navy uh, approached things. And, and I say that because being here at Pearl Harbor, for instance, you see the USS Arizona Memorial. So here in Pearl Harbor, you have the bookends of World War II, at least for the United States. So the war started for the United States December 7th, 1941, with the attack on Pearl Harbor, represented by the wreckage of the USS Arizona that's there today, the 1,177 sailors who were killed on that ship. Over 900 of them are still on board that ship. And then right across uh, the water, just a little ways, you have the USS Missouri. And that's where the war ended for the world on September 2nd, 1945. And the Japanese Empire did not just surrender to the United States in the deck of the Missouri. They surrendered to the Allies, and that's very, very important. Did the United States play a huge role in our victory in the Pacific War? Absolutely, uh, a gigantic role in that. But it was an Allied effort, and World War II was an Allied effort. So I point that out because before the attack on Pearl Harbor, Following World War I, where we had already gotten involved in World War I, and it was supposed to be the war to end all wars, and here we are 20 years later, and the world is at war again, or is moving towards war. And the United States tried to stay out. The United States didn't want, the American people really didn't want to get involved in a war again. And therefore, the U.S. Navy <clears throat> was somewhat hindered in what we could, what the Navy could do um, to, to be involved in any way. And with the attack on Pearl Harbor, that changed. Um, we realized that we have to be in, you know, we need to get into this war now. And the reminders of World War II, when you look at, uh, for instance, the speech that MacArthur gave in the Missouri, where he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, this has to stop. We cannot do this again. The stakes are too high. The weapons are too, you know, powerful. We have to find a way to work together. And the... Um, when you look at the Arizona Memorial, it stands for vigilance. We have to be vigilant. We can't allow this to happen again. We can't be snuck up on again, basically. We can't allow a tyranny to grow to a point where they could do something like this again. Uh, the motto in the Missouri is strength for freedom. So we have to remain strong so that we can remain free. But the, the sculptures on the side of the Arizona Memorial on the Shrine Room represent to the, to the architect the tree of life. And he believed that they represented a lasting peace. So they're on the memorial. Uh, those names on that wall in the memorial represent those who gave their lives on the USS Arizona. But beyond that, 
those who gave their lives on December 7th, and then even beyond that, all of those who gave their lives in the Pacific War. And ultimately, ultimately it led to victory. The memorial starts out high, goes low over the wreckage, and then comes up high again in the Shrine Room because we did win that war, but what kind of victory did we win? And Alfred Price, again, he wanted that sculpture to represent the Tree of Life, a lasting piece. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Missouri comes in because who did the Japanese Empire surrender to? Not just the United States, but they surrendered to the Allies, um, the Russians, the British, the French, the Dutch, the Canadians, New Zealand, China, Australia, they all signed that document. And it's that idea of partnership that the world has changed. The United States cannot be isolated. We're gonna need to be involved in this world, hopefully for the better, of course, and to find those common goals with other nations in the region that we can, that we can work together, which is why something like the Rim of the Pacific exercise is so important every other year. And you'll see that these nations are coming together, these navies are coming together, these militaries, um, to find those common values and those common goals that we can work towards and I always, just the last thing, as I pointed out, the Japanese were trying to establish what they called the Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere in that region of the world. Well, in a way, um, and it might sound cheesy or corny, but the, the nations working together are really trying to create a real co-prosperity sphere where, again, we work together. And um, the Navy has changed in that we're no longer this isolated nation working just for our unilateral goals. But... The Navy has has uh, uh, become uh, a, a global force for good, as you could say, uh, and learning to work together with other nations to to achieve common goals. Yeah, you talk about uh, the Rim of the Pacific, and then I think about Pacific partnerships, um, that that collaboration, um, the combined effort to make these partnerships. I think it is vital. Um, going back to the Pearl Harbor commemoration, where going on in the 78th anniversary, why do you think it's important to uh, memorialize or remember this every year? Yeah, it's, it's very, very important because, uh, I mean, it's been said, it's kind of a cliche, but this is our greatest generation. You know, the, the young guys, the young guys on December 7th, the ones who were 17 years old, 18 mm -hmm. years old, those are the ones that are coming back uh, for these ceremonies. And there's a lot that we can learn from them. You know, I, I always encourage uh, sailors and service members or anybody really that's going to these ceremonies, take the time to meet these guys and ask them questions because they fought that war. Um, and not only did they fight that war, not only did they survive the December 7th attack, not only did they fight that war, but they also fought for the peace as well. Like when they came back from World War II, what did they do when they came back? How did they live their lives? You know, how did they see the world and, and how did they see the world change? Everything I told you about, they actually saw this happening. And there's so many things that we can learn. The core values of the Navy, honor, courage, and commitment. If there's anybody that exhibited these, um, these traits, it's that greatest generation. And so it's important that we, it's important that we remember them. It's important that we show them, that we tell them that they're important to us, you know, in a ceremony like this. But it's also important that we meet them and that we talk to them. I, you know, I do tours all the time and I can sit here and I can, you know, rattle out <laughs> what brought about World War II and what's the significance of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I can tell you dates and, and so on and so forth. But there's nothing like talking to a veteran who was 17 years old when the attack took place and hearing their story, you know. So, for instance, one of the one of the stories, one of my favorite stories, is an individual named George Bennett who was on Fort Island 
Um, he was at Barracks 55. He's in his dungarees. He's 17 years old. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But he would every year he'd come, he'd tell the same story. And I still love to hear the story where he was in the barracks and uh, the attack starts taking place. And he and his shipmates are ordered to go to their battle station. So he's in his dungarees and he starts running to his hangar on Fort Island. And he gets halfway to the hangar. There are bombs going off. There's ships exploding. There's aircraft strafing. And he thought, oh, man, I don't have my hat on. He thought he was going to get in trouble because he didn't have his hat on because yeah. he was, you know, 17 years old, 17 year old guy. He's a kid. Um, and the first time, one of the first times I ever heard this story, um, my son was around the same age. So it really, it really hit me that, wow, you know, what would it be like to see my son in that same situation? But yeah. he makes it to the hangar, spends the rest of the day there. And then as he's coming back that night, he comes back to Barracks 55. The USS Arizona, when the ship sunk, it sunk on the freshwater supply to Fort Island. So the supply bringing freshwater from the main side of the base to Fort Island. The Arizona sunk on that on that pipe, and so Fort Island didn't have any, any fresh water. So as George tells the story, he goes into Barracks 55 that evening, uh, tired after the day, obviously, terrified that the Japanese are going to launch an invasion of Oahu. And uh, they had to use water from the swimming pool for their soup that night, wow. as George tells it. Um, and so he sat there in the barracks eating his dinner, and half of, it's a pretty big, uh, that galley and, and Barracks 55 is a pretty big galley, but they, they actually had to, uh, they had half of it curtained off and darkened. And everybody knew what was on the other side of that curtain because the attack on Pearl Harbor being what it was, uh, we only had one hospital uh, on the base and it was overwhelmed with casualties, as you can imagine. So they had to use a lot of larger facilities for casualties, medical purposes and so forth. So on the other side of that curtain were bodies. Uh, of, of his fellow shipmates who had been lost in the attack. He said it was the worst meal he ever had in his life. Mm -hmm. And he sat there knowing that he survived and they didn't. And he knew some of these guys. Uh, and he stayed in the Navy for over 30 years and ended up becoming a chief because he wanted to serve as long as he possibly could with that memory of what they, the, the sacrifice that they gave, he wanted to serve as long as he could. And that's what I'm talking about. Uh, why it's important to, to commemorate and to remember these guys is because of what they did. 17-year-old kid, I don't know what I would, at my age, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. But being a 17-year-old kid, many of them that I've talked to have said, I came here as a kid, but after December 7th, I, I left as a man mm -hmm. because of what they'd experienced. So we need to thank them. We need to remember them. We need to hear their stories because we need that same honor, courage, and commitment today. You know, and we, We're not in a war, thank God like that, but those same values are still important today. So every uh, every service member serving today who's in the area, I would encourage to go to a ceremony like that just for just to say thank you, and if you get the chance to talk to these individuals and find out their stories because it's very very important. Yeah, I think it's um, as you talk about those who have gone before us. You know, the you talk about um, remembering service, remembering selfless service. And then I automatically, as you were telling the story, I thought about um, in 2006 when I went to Iraq and, um, you know, being able to serve in Iraq, uh, see some pretty not good things um, and be able to come back. And the thought of being able to relate to a World War II veteran, uh, obviously not not in the same capacity, capacity, but in the same sense of losing, you know, your brother, your sister, your shipmate next to you. Um, and feeling that, I think that, 
you know, that could be healing for people who struggle with PTSD. That could be um, healing for, you know, others who have served in different wars uh, since World War II and since the attack on Pearl Harbor to help them heal. You know, I think that's, you know, a great perspective. No, and I, I thank you, and I appreciate your having me to be able to tell the story because it is such a such a powerful story. Um, we have these ceremonies every year. Why do we do it every year? Because there's you know there's going to be fewer and fewer of these veterans coming to the ceremonies as the years go by. Every year we have fewer and fewer, so um, it's important now that we get out there and thank these individuals. One moment, please. Four two three four. The 1941 Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was a complete surprise to those stationed on Oahu that day. I'm Aaron Huggins, and I work for Joint Base Pearl Harbor-Hickam Public Affairs. Recently, I was lucky enough to be able to sit down with two veterans who were here on the day of the attack 78 years ago. Ira Ike Schaub and Herbert Elfreen are both back to attend the commemoration of the National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. As I spoke with them, I was reminded of what Jim Newman said earlier in our podcast about why it's important to honor these veterans. We need to hear their stories and recognize the honor, courage, and commitment that they showed that day. Imagine what it would have been like to be a sailor, airman, soldier, or Marine on the day of the attack. How were these service members even able to function in the face of such adversity? First up is Ira Schaub. I sat down with musician First Class Schaub to ask him about his experience on December 7th, advice he might have for our JBPHH sailors and airmen, as well as what his favorite and least favorite thing about the Navy was. I think some of you might be able to relate to his least favorite thing. Some things never change. All right, if you could tell us your name. My name's Ira John Schaub. And what was your uh, rate and rank? Uh, my rate and rank during the attack was a musician second class. Excellent. Ike, where are you from? I'm from, uh, I was from uh, Whittier, California at the time. Okay. And right now I'm from Portland, Oregon. Excellent. What was your uh, favorite thing about the Navy? You know, it's a pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hardest question. You're yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's a hard one. But I, I, I love the Navy, and I always did, and I always will. And, uh, so uh, and that's that's about it. I'd say. It's a good, yeah. Good answer. All right. Easier question. Least favorite thing about the Navy. Least favorite thing about the Navy? Waiting. <laughs> So um, the people that are going to listen to this are young sailors and airmen here on this base. Uh And I think that they can appreciate that answer. (laughs) And they can also relate to that answer. Yes. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us about why you come back to the Pearl Harbor commemoration? Uh, Too many memories. I've left an awful lot of good friends here. And uh, uh, I always will want to come back and respect them, you know. 
So paying paying my dues. So that's that's an obligation that I will never get over as long as I live. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you were on December seventh, nineteen forty one? I was on the USS Dobbin, a destroyer tender, at uh, the north end of Ford Island. Uh, I came, uh, they passed the word. We didn't have a, an announcing system on my ship. So they passed the word to call away the fire and rescue party to rescue the, what was happening there, the people. And I went topside to see what was happening, and I saw the Utah capsizing. And then from that time on, I went below to help with the ammunition for what uh, the aircraft uh, weapons we had. And that was about it. And scared stiff. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get through it? Oh, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I survived, yeah. yeah. Here I am. <laughs> um, do, you have, Ike, do you have any advice for young sailors and airmen that are in the service today? Keep active keep their brains working and uh, pray to the Lord to make everything work for them. Hopefully they won't have to go through this, yeah, yeah. the things that we did. Yeah. And I pray not. Yeah. Next up is Herbert Elfring. Herbert was a member of the California National Guard. His 251st Air Defense Artillery Regiment was in Hawaii on December 7th that day. He talked about his experience as well as why he comes back to the Pearl Harbor commemoration events. And he gives some really good advice for present-day service members. It should be noted that when Herbert speaks here, he uses the phrase zeros to describe the Japanese planes. Zeke's and zeros was a slang term that the service members used to use to refer to the Mitsubishi A6M Japanese fighter planes. Here's Herbert. So you're, you're back here for the 78... Pearl Harbor commemoration. Right. Um, why do you come back to the commemoration? Well, I, uh, it's just a, a very fulfilling experience, uh, especially in these later years where we're getting fewer and fewer Pearl Harbor survivors, and to be and to be one of those is kind of special. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about your experience on December 7th, 1941? Well, it was uh, uh, early in the morning. I had had breakfast, and I was standing at the corner of our barracks reading what we called our bulletin board when that first zero came over and laid a line of bullets about 15 feet away from me, and I looked up saw that airplane with a red ball on the fuselage and knew it was a Japanese airplane, not ours. Yeah. So uh, at, until that point, we had no warning of anything going wrong, even though we could hear the bombing and so forth down toward Pearl Harbor. But it was only just a few minutes when we got the word out that we're being attacked and everybody started scrambling for whatever place they felt comfortable with or, or were previously assigned to do, you know. So how'd you get through it? Well, you do what you have to do, and yeah. uh, fortunately I got through it. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, uh, at that time we did have a, a radar that we were learning on, and, uh, and uh, the squad I was with, we all got out to the radar and had been there just 
few minutes when when another zero was coming in over at us. We could look up and see it. And uh, for some reason, the line of bullets didn't come down on the radar, but off between the radar and the power plant. And it severed the, severed the power cable from the power plant to the radar that was necessary to supply the electricity. So another, another close call. Yeah, yeah. Do you have, so we have young sailors and airmen that are gonna be listening to this interview. Do you have any advice for them? Oh, golly. <laughs> it's a hard question. <laughs> I, I, I guess. Uh, uh, life advice, good life advice. I guess do your assignments, keep your nose clean, and stay out of trouble. <laughs> that seems to be safer that way. <laughs> you might get back. That's good advice. Get back as a, as a whole body. <laughs> Before we go today, I want to leave you with this. As each December 7th passes, we lose more and more of these veterans. When they are gone, how will we keep their memories alive? How will present-day sailors and airmen, service members, continue their legacy? How will you carry on their example of what it means to serve? Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Joint, a joint-based Pearl Harbor-Hickam podcast. Every month, we will be bringing you news stories from across the base. If you have any feedback or an idea for a podcast topic for us, send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. We are on Facebook at JBPHH and on Instagram at JointBasePHH. Until next time, our watch has ended.